and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by NAF Five Star Superflex. I'm Pippa Rim, magazine editor here at Horse and Hound. Well, this week is all about running as well as riding for me. It's my first week of official training for a half marathon I'm doing in April. So I was out running sprints this morning. Sprints being uh, something of a joke with my running speed because I think my sprinting is a bit more like most people's slow jog. But uh, anyway, following the programme and getting it done just like you would with your own horse's fitness. This week on the podcast, my colleague Jennifer Donald is speaking to the man of the moment in show jumping, Harry Charles. He had that incredible double of big wins at the London International Horse Show before Christmas. He talks about the influence of his father Peter on his career. He's been there for me for everything. He's an incredible, incredible guy. Having met someone like that, I can go to and ask a couple of questions too, and I know they're going to give me the correct and best answer. It's priceless. I'll be chatting to our news team about tack theft, new series in power dressage and how decisions are made in international horse sport. We'll then be joined by personal trainer Katie Bleakman to talk about hip flexibility and getting on your horse from the ground. Now we've all probably been there, you've gone to get on, lifted your foot up and you can't get anywhere near the stirrup. The main problem is a lack of flexibility and strength. More from Katie later. That's enough from me. Give your horse's mane a final brush and let's get going. Hi, I'm Jennifer Donald, show jumping editor at Horse and Hound. And this week I have the pleasure of introducing one of Great Britain's most exciting young talents. He made his Olympic debut in Tokyo last year at the age of 22 and sealed a truly exceptional year by winning both the World Cup and the Grand Prix at the London International Horse Show just before Christmas. He's the man of the moment, the rider everyone's been talking about. It's Harry Charles. Harry, welcome. Thank you for having me. Um, so Harry, as you said yourself, that week in London was certainly one you won't forget. And we all saw how much it meant to you. Has it sunk in a bit more now? Have you had time to reflect on such a massive achievement? Yeah, I think um, being at the end of the year and having a bit of time off after was it was perfect, really, because normally we go week to week and yeah. an achievement like that, you wouldn't really have time to reflect on it and it, let it sink in. So We've had a few weeks at home. We had Christmas and New Year, and uh, over that time, it really did sink in. And, and we're starting the new year with now with a lot of confidence behind us. Brilliant. I mean, then you came into London, you know, on the back of a good win in Geneva as well. Did you feel confident? Did you feel like it was going to be a good show, or were you surprised at how it all sort of took off in London? Yeah, I mean, you had to be a bit surprised with how well it went. <laughs> yeah. But I did go there to be honest with the aim of trying to win the World Cup with Stardust. I, I knew she was on on great form. She was still quite new to that level, but I, I've known for all year that she, she has a big, big few days in her and I knew that was going to be one of them towards the end of the year. So um, we really did make a plan for a f three, three or four weeks out and, and it just, when it comes together that good, it was amazing. I mean, obviously the Grand Prix of Passato was, was a bonus. Yeah. Um, I don't know, Ben Mayer said afterwards that when your confidence is up like that, you're you're on a roll and it feels like nothing can go wrong. Did yeah. you did you sort of have that different mindset by Monday? Did you did you always predict that you were gonna win or can you never take anything for granted no, in show jumping? I, I, I honestly I didn't I had on Monday I because um that horse he'd already won the last two classes he jumped, he'd actually won in Geneva and won at Olympia, he'd of won course. both of them. Yeah. Um, so he was on a top of his form and obviously I was in not bad shape <laughs> yeah. from um 
and it just I was first to go and I saw the jump riders in the jump off and I thought oh this is going to be really difficult to win from the front and I just thought you know what last round of the year I'm going to take every single risk I can wow and uh it just came off perfectly and um to be honest I didn't know how quick I was until I saw there was a guy behind me called Edward Levy and oh, he yeah. is one of the fu- and, and Rat Horse Rebecca they're one of the fastest combinations in the world and, and they were nearly a second slower so when I saw that I thought oh I have a good chance here because I didn't know you know being first you never really know how uh if you've really set the pace but yeah no that was uh when he was a bit slower than me I was a good feeling wow and you said as well that you went back to the stables didn't you is that something you always do do you get nerves or you don't actually watch the rest of jump offs if no you I don't I don't like to watch I don't like to watch them <laughs> I like to just sit I, I put some music in I put my phone on airplane I put my phone on airplane mode yeah luckily I have some noise cancelling earphones because in the stables you can still hear the crowd oh my gosh so s- properly switching it up yeah from, yeah oh wow. yeah this isn't just sat, sat there just listen to there's a new album just came out actually I want to listen to it so oh, I well. just um, <laughs> sat there listened to it and yeah. I checked my watch about 20 minutes to be so right it must be near the end now I walked back up and um Ben had just gone into second so I was like, oh thank god I did not because I would have been stressed watching that yeah um, <laughs> yeah but yeah I knew Ben was my big danger man in that jump off right. and uh I was very relieved when uh he was just slower. Oh. I was very relieved. I mean, I watched all. I watched Dennis go. Oh yeah. I did well. I wanted to be in. The, if it, if it did happen, I wanted to be in the mixer when it. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, and I guess nothing could beat the feeling of the atmosphere in front of your home crowd as well. What was the feeling going into the prize givings for those classes? Oh, it's just the best. It it really is. I've, I've been so lucky to travel to some amazing shows, and but. When you're British, there's nothing like a home crowd. And all the foreign riders say as well, mm-hmm. the British crowds are incredible. Oh, whether do they? Wow, that's good Whether it's know. Windsor or Olympia. Yeah. Every time, the crowd is inc- are incredible. Brilliant. They get behind everyone, you know, whereas you go to some other shows and they would only really get behind the home riders. Yeah, yeah. In other countries, but the Eng- British, it's better, okay, they really do get behind the British riders, but they also... They, could, they get behind everyone, which is, it, it makes a fantastic atmosphere. It's brilliant, isn't it? And did the yeah. fact that it all happened on national television make a difference as well? I know I've had sort of unhorsey friends come up to me and say, oh, you know, that Harry Charles, you know, you're, you're sort of more of a, a name out there now. It's, it seems quite good to watch. Did you feel that as well? Are you getting more selfies and things like that? Yeah, it was, well, it was, it, it was fantastic for the sport. I think a lot of sports were cancelled that weekend, if that helped anything. But um, no, all my friends from school really got to, I mean, a lot of them came up to watch, which was even more special because uh, they'd never really seen me ride in real life. Yeah. <laughs> and um, a lot of them watched on TV and all their parents. And uh, I went to the barbers to get a haircut, like just before New Year's Eve. And uh, the barbers said, I saw you on the TV last no week. <laughs> yeah, they were all, as the last people I think would be watching the yeah. jumping. <laughs> um well, they said it was really cool they really enjoyed it and it that is awesome I yeah love it. it was it was cool a lot of people I think tuned into it so it was great exposure for the sport yeah brilliant um and those wins you've said they came on uh Borsato and Stardust can you tell us a bit more about them um Borsato first of all I mean he's 15 he's just a jumping machine really yeah, isn't he's he six, he's, he's 16, 16 now, now actually yeah, of course. well we're in a new year so we all uh, had a birthday the other week yeah um no, he's great. I've had him now. This would be my fourth fourth season together with him. Mm-hmm. But he's a horse. He's, you know, um, Miles O'Donnell rode him in Young Riders very successfully up to a, a very good level. And uh, I was lucky enough to, to get the ride on him afterwards. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, it took us a few months and then we, we clicked and he did some really good things in 2019. He was a really good horse for me on the global tour. Yeah. Then COVID hit and mm. uh, to be honest, he didn't do a lot in 2020 at all. We had a very quiet year. I only probably did four or five shows on him. But honestly, did him did him no harm. It was nice for him to get a big break. And um, this year we really um, changed a few things around with him. We uh, looked at the way his shoes were and we found a lot lighter shoe we put on him. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, it was interesting. And, you know, we put a different, we tried a different bit out and in him, it's just this year he's been incredible. He's, he's been clearing nearly every five-star Grand Prix he's, he's jumped in. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. I wonder his sort of best attributes, what makes him so good and sort of jump offs and things. Oh, he's so scopy. I, I had I don't have to touch him with my leg. He is so naturally scopy and forward. And uh he's just a very he's very quick across the floor because he's uh very spooky and not quite sure of himself kind of horse. Even at, at sixteen he's um quite a character yeah you have to be you have to be quite care every time you ride him you have to have your wits about you uh, <laughs> keeps you on your toes a, oh, he, he drives his heart he's got a heart he's got the biggest heart and uh he's a fantastic he's... horse i'm happy for him he's got a win like that behind him now. yeah definitely oh he deserves, he deserves that. it yeah. yeah um and stardust as well is she similar what she what's her, her sort of best qualities no stardust is quite very different probably she's uh incredibly incredibly careful mm-hmm. and um just the the want to win from her is 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 what makes her an amazing horse. You know her yeah. her mentality, so clever and intelligent and uh, calculated. Oh yeah, she, you know she's not one of those horses that flashes and, and goes two feet over the fence, which yeah. everyone like. But she she knows what, exactly where the poles are, <laughs> exactly where her legs are, and she calculates everything. You can feel her coming up to the jump, you know, getting ready for it and. Uh, she naturally is, is is the fastest horse I've ever ridden. Wow, what a she feeling. Just, it sounds yeah, amazing. She, I open my hand and she whips around, she turns. She's like a pony on a, a big pony. Yeah. <laughs> she's an absolute beautiful she horse stunning, to deal with. There's not a nicer horse that'll ever put a sad, you know, just an absolute sweetheart. Oh, brilliant. Yeah, she's great. Um, and we obviously have to talk about the brilliant Romeo as well, who took you yeah. to your <laughs> first Olympics last year. What a, What's he like as well? It was Anne Thompson brought him to for you. Anne Thompson, yeah. She's, without Anne, I really, uh, I don't think I would be sitting here talking to you about all this oh. success, really. She really did kickstart my, I think, career, you know, when I think about it, with, yeah. with giving me opportunity to ride Romeo. And um, she secured another an amazing, amazing horse for me as well. So... Uh, yeah, Anne's been a huge part of our team and a huge part of my career. Lovely. But Romeo, yeah, he's at the minute he's uh, very fluffy. Is he? <laughs> he's uh, he's just had his he's just had three months off. Oh bless! He's, he lives in a straw pen with Bosato. Oh, does he? They go oh. they go in a big straw pen. Yeah, so they're like they best like buddies. It. Yeah, but well, they always fight each other. But oh, they right. love each other really. <laughs> they love each other really. That's amazing. But Romeo's funny. He's a grumpy guy in a stable, but um, yeah, heart of a lion. Yeah, he is. Absolutely. He is a he's a great horse and gave me my best experience of my career and yeah. I'll forever be grateful for him for that. And still quite new to you. I mean, it was only, was it this time last year that you got him? Yeah, I hadn't even done a show with him this time last year. Wow. So, um, <laughs> yeah, he came to me in December of last year with a goal to go to Tokyo and, and, and we did everything right and yeah. we got, we, you know, we achieved that goal. Fantastic. And anything else in your, I mean, what, how many horses have you got at home? Tell us about the rest of your string. I've got seven in my string at the minute, mm-hmm. which I'll be you for mainly for this year. And we've got some really exciting, you know, five and six year olds. Okay. Um, 
Robert Murphy, he's a fantastic lad. One of my best friends. He he rides uh, a lot of the young ones for us. Of course, and yeah. also uh, we um yeah, we I trust him with my life, Robert. So any any horse I'd happily give him to ride, and, and we see a bit. And uh, he does a great job producing them, and hopefully he'll get a um, a couple a bit older now to to kick on he can maybe start moving up the levels a bit Fantastic. he deserves it so, yeah um, definitely he's a great rider isn't he so yeah um, but i'm excited about um a few horses in my string this year a couple maybe will be newer to the level but um yeah excited to see how they'll they'll go out this year brilliant and do you enjoy producing the younger ones as much as you like jumping the older ones do you get a satisfaction from bringing on yeah it's, i guess it's more of a sense of because uh, you've really like um brought them on yourself mm-hmm and they really, you get to know each other inside out and you can't really beat that. If yeah. you know each other and you teach, you know, we learn off each other, it can't, you can't beat that. And someone else has taught a horse and you try, it's still good, but it never beat the feeling of, you know, you two have learned each, each other together. Exactly. That bond and that partnership yes. is well. so important, yeah. isn't it? Um, and do you have a type? What sort of qualities do you look for in a horse? So to be honest, as long as they they're good, I I don't really mind what type. How I don't mind how they ride. I don't mind if they're a little bit awkward or a little bit difficult. I kind of always have got on with those horses oh, good, quite okay. well. Yeah. Of course, everyone says they like a blood horse and careful, but that's that's obviously great. But for me, it's all about the mentality and and like I said about stars, calculated. They're intelligent and they know how to win. That, that makes it a lot easier. It's a great feeling. But you can't teach. That's the thing. You you can't teach that they have to it's they're born with it yeah oh brilliant um and tell us a bit about your setup at home then is it sort of you've obviously got your younger sisters there too and your dad peter charles is it do you all work together how is it all sort of what's a typical day when you're all at home together yeah we all kind of work together to be honest um there's three of us and we've got a great uh girl julia who who's uh one of our riders on the flat she helps me a lot for my string obviously when i'm away i can't be riding the, my other guys at home uh, so Julia helps me and we communicate a lot and she knows, to be honest, she's been a big part of Posato's success oh, last okay. year. Brilliant. She knows him inside out. It's her favourite horse actually, to, which is funny because it people struggle to ride him on the flat a bit because he's very, very sharp. Oh, right. Oh my goodness. Um, but she absolutely loves him. So I, I, to be honest, I let her do all the work with him really when I need to jump him. I know him inside out now and we know each other. So we just, we don't do anything at home really. Okay. Just, uh, for example, you, Julia with, with that horse has made a big difference and, and she knows all my horses inside out. And um, I think that is a huge, huge benefit to have someone like that you really trust and knows your, and takes time to get to know your horses. Exactly. And know how they go and what they like and what makes them tick. Yeah, that's been a, a great help. Um, and then girl Georgia, she's traveled the world with me and, and knows each horse as well inside out, Fantastic. which is the most important thing you have to. That's it. Um, and they all love Georgia. You can see. Oh, you can brilliant. Because <laughs> obviously um, you, you say you're, you know, you're away so much as well. You can't be there all the time. Yeah. You need this sort of team on the ground, don't you? It's so important. And now the, the sport and the circuit is so global. We're always in different locations each week. Yeah. And um, so it is so important to have those people around you and having the right people to take care of the horses. Yeah. And do you enjoy yeah. all the traveling and that aspect of it? Or do you sort of wish you could uh, roll out of bed and just be? No, I, I did. I did absolutely love it. And now, to be honest, with doing all these t- 
tests and passenger locator forms everything it's made it so much more <laughs> difficult and brexit with the horses exactly and now we have to have carnets and all oh. this oh. oh it's it's made it so traveling is a lot more stressful than it used I to be bet. <laughs> but it's still it's still great to see yeah yeah i mean it's difficult enough for humans i can't even imagine what you have to go through oh, with your chores it's as well, an absolute so. night it's an absolute nightmare <laughs> oh gosh yeah. and do you ever get a day off what do you do, like to do to unwind is there such a thing as a day off in the <laughs> charles yeah, household of course it's important every every now and again to take a day off i strong believer in that you know yeah. staff will get good days off and i take a day off i try to once every couple of weeks oh, just brilliant. to get your head away a bit because you can get so caught up in it and exactly uh, it's full-on isn't it it's, really? a ment- it's a mentally demanding sport as well um maybe something i don't know if it's overlooked a little bit you know the horse is a treat but we also we're not machines we can't we can't go every single day and it's good to take a take a day off and a break and just refresh your mind come in with the yard with some fresh ideas yeah brilliant and now we also like at the start of this year they announced you as the that you topped the under 25 world rankings which again is another fantastic achievement what does that mean to you i mean that's huge sort of recognition of the year you have had yeah especially we started the year um i think i was maybe like 15 or 16 mm-hmm. or I was 180 in the world and to be honest covid still stopped the year until about may yeah exactly so i mean in america they were all still going so a lot of riders got a, a real big head start and advantage um be able to get points out in america so um yeah to, to come up that quick after those few months was amazing really and i nearly broken into the top 30 of the world that's it i mean you're just behind was... from a british point of view it's only scott and ben ahead of you now so i mean that's yeah. phenomenal isn't they're it? the two big boys <laughs> yeah. got to try and catch up with um but yeah i'm gonna try hopefully push them a bit and hopefully uh by the end of the year i won't be so far away from them guys <laughs> in uh, terms of the ranking but yeah to be honest if you have good horses and uh you you, you manage your team correctly the ranking take care of itself you don't need to i never once went chasing to be well, you know, world number one, the under 25s or in the top, however many, I just targeted the right classes. And I was so lucky more often than not, it all worked out and then the ranking just took care of itself. It's brilliant. I mean, just take yeah. us back to some of the other highlights then of 2021. Tell us, obviously, first of all, the Olympics. What was your experience in Tokyo? It was amazing to just, just to be at an Olympics, albeit no, it was a very a different- strange one, uh, yeah. Yeah, but I, I didn't have anything to compare. I know Ben and Scott had they had a couple of Olympics behind them each, so for them maybe it felt a little bit different. But to me, like it still felt it was still amazing, and it was a great great to be part of that team, mm-hmm. and even to be you know around Ben when he won the gold medal and see what it took to get there, training together for two weeks beforehand, and so I got to really see what it took to win the gold medal, amazing, which was was great to see, a great experience, and. Yeah, just being out there and I'm part of that and to have that experience was huge for me because I think afterwards when I came back, it really made a big difference in my riding, everything. And um, there's a big difference in the results if you see when I, before I went to the Olympics, when I came back. Yeah. Oh, that's really um, interesting. I mean, because you went straight yeah. out and then things like course of the year show and then you were winning at Geneva and things as well, you know. Yeah, we did. Um, even the first, I went to Saint-Tropez and, and oh, won yes. a big class. We won the horse, the horse, it was the horse's first five-star show. She won a big class. Then we had um, Barcelona. We were double clear there. We only double clear in uh, that Challenge Cup. Then we were one Hoy. So we went to Oslo. We were third in the Grand Prix. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Real Madrid, we were second in the big class. Geneva, we won a big class. And then uh, Olympia. Yeah. So it just, yeah. Suddenly on a roll. Amazing yeah. highlights from the year. I loved as well your um, in Barcelona. You said it was on your bucket list to jump on a Nations yeah. Cup team with John Whitaker. I just love that. Was that? I mean, that must have been really special. And to, as you say, yeah, to jump double was. clear and then win that class as well. It must have been a brilliant moment. No, it was great, and um, I was so happy for Romeo as well. You know, he really deserved it. He had a, he had a tough Olympics in the end, having to jump four rounds, the most of any horse on our team. Oh yeah. Um, considering he wasn't actually meant to go there and jump, but he showed everyone what an amazing horse he is. In Barcelona, he, he did it with ease. And um, so to be on the team with John as well was really cool. He's a rider. You know, my dad's ridden on the teams, many teams of him. Yeah. Of course, a legend in our in our sport. So um, it was cool to do. I was happy to get to do that. Definitely. Um, and are there any sort of venues you always enjoy competing at the most? Which shows do you always put in your calendar for the year? I love Windsor. That's probably my favourite show. It's just something special about it uh, Whenever Rolex they take control of a show, or they they take a part in it, it's the it's just really propels them to the next level. You see it with Arkan and Geneva and yeah. Windsor. It, they really make a, a show a bit more. I don't know a different feeling to it. I guess. Of course, I've only ridden in Arkan one time. I'd love to go again this year and and really have a go there for a big chance to try and win something. Yeah. Um, but that's an amazing thing. There's so many good shows nowadays, but. You can't beat ones at home. Yeah. Uh, do you prefer indoors or outdoors or you, you sort of take it as it comes? I don't mind. Obviously, sometimes indoors you get a better atmosphere because you're all tightly packed. Um, but as a terms of a riding, to really ride and to ride, I think, outdoors because you can really get a good canter and yeah. typically the fences are a bit bigger outdoors, but you can, you know, you have space to ride. Yeah. Um, and do you have a particular class you most enjoy? Do you like a good speed class a or a Grand Prix? Yeah, <laughs> a Grand Prix all day long. <laughs> and I know you're only 22, but you've already had a fantastic career. Just take us back to the beginning. Were you sort of on a pony before you could walk? What are your first horse your memories? Um, I, to be honest, I really struggle to answer this question about a horse because I can't. I've, I've obviously I've really grown up around horses with my dad and stuff. But yeah. I can never really pinpoint that first moment. Okay. But I had a pony called Cheeky. Oh, nice. I can imagine um, what he was like. <laughs> first pony, yeah. So my dad, in between the classes at Hickstead, he'd get off his one. And then he'd take me around the lead rein cross pole course. And I'd be bobbing about a bit and falling off the back. And Yeah. Um, I remember going to Hickstead a lot with um, with Jack Whitaker and, and the two Fletcher boys. Because our, our parents were all kind of going around the Nations Cup series. And we would all hang out. We weren't riding so much, but we were having I'm <laughs> having fun, fun yeah. Fun <laughs> was there ever a plan B, or was show jumping always the the aim? There was no, there was always a plan B. Um, but to, I mean, to this day, I still have a plan B. Um, <laughs> you know, just in case. Um, but um, it was one win, probably a horse of the year show in the ponies when I won one two eight, and then I won the leading pony show jumper. They were kind of. I guess big moments when I was younger mm -hmm. yeah those kind of stuck out to me and to be honest getting to do all the European championships for youth that's such a great thing we have in Europe yeah it really gives a it's like a taste small taste of, of what it's like and I think without those things it really would have those kind of things really pushed me into wanting to pursue it further definitely 
And your dad, I mean, what sort of, what have you learned from him along the way? Is he always there for advice? What's your sort of relationship with him as you've got older and and progressed? Yeah, I've, it's been he's been there for me for everything. He's a incredible, incredible guy to have. Uh, first of all, his career he's had, and, and then to really kind of stop it to yeah. to help me Scarlett and Sienna and and I think what he's built at Heathcroft Farm and his, everything is, is something incredible and I look up to and yeah it's, it's a real he's a real inspiration um on and off a horse uh nowadays he tends to leave me a bit more to my own devices and it's just kind of tweaking one or two things maybe not so much training like day to day as it would have been like five years ago like you know when I was a bit younger yeah but yeah, he's he's always there to lend a hand, and he's a great manager of the horses. Having like someone like that, I can go to and ask a couple of questions too, and I know they're going to give me the correct and best answer. Yeah, it's, it's, someone to trust. Yeah, yeah, it's priceless. Yeah, and which other riders do you like to watch nowadays? Are you sort of always learning and picking up tips from other riders along the way, or are you sort of do your own thing and uh, and keep yourself focused? Of course, you have to do your own thing because everyone rides a bit different. But always should I always watch pick a few like Scott for example I was lucky he went to his yard a couple times in 2020 and he gave me a few tips and stuff and he was in Tokyo he was amazing out there when he obviously unfortunately with Jefferson he had uh, that small little niggle but Scott really helped me for the team and he I think as a rider I really look up to him and what he's achieved and the way he's the way he rides the way he manages the horses and and yeah I think he's a super Steve Gerdat Mm -hmm. one of them as well Fantastic. Of course, Enning. Yeah. Many, many, just pick and choose from many. Yeah, there's this some year. great. Peter Fredrickson, the way he's managed his horses and uh, he's won what he's won. We have some great, yeah, great role models, aren't they, in this exactly. sport? So it's good. Um, and finally, just looking ahead then, what are your plans for this year? Are you, I mean, it's 2021 is going to be hard to beat, but what are your sort of targets? Is World Championships well, your big aim? That, yeah, that is my big aim. But um, no, I want to beat 2021. Okay. I, um, <laughs> good, ambitious. Of I like course, it. yeah. World Championships would be very high on the top of my list. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, I'm part of a global team again. I missed out last year. I didn't do one last year. Yeah. But I'm back on a global team this year. So that's also a part of the year. Um, but the main priority, of course, is the World Championships, yeah. Nations Cups. And then um, you see, obviously, you have a lot of the Grand Slams in there as well. Of course, yeah. And then, of course, there's also the World Cup finals. Um, they come up in April. So um, the goal, anyway, was already made back in September of last year. We try and get to the finals. And luckily, after uh, some good results in Oslo, Madrid and London, I think we're there now. Um, but the finals are in April and I'm building Romeo back up now. That's what his main goal is. Um, you can use two horses in the final. So yet to see who will go with Romeo there. But... Um, I'd like to try and push for a top three podium finisher, really. And that's, that's what, so one of the big goals for you. Just just as long as I can get uh, my horses and they're all in good shape and keep them happy doing what they love. And um, maybe by the end of the year, we'll hopefully be pushed knocking on the door of the top 10, I'd, I'd hope. Brilliant. And you've got a great I never thought team. I'd have been top near the top 30. Well, exactly. Last year, so why not? Why not dream a bit? I like it. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, Harry, these are clearly very exciting times for you and us too, actually. I think you're a real asset to this country and great for the sport, I have to say. Well, so um, it's been great having you. Thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me. It's been good fun. 
So I'm joined today by all three members of the Horse and Hound News team. We've got a full house. So first up, our news editor, Eleanor Jones. Hi, Eleanor. How is it going? Yeah, all good. Thank you. Had a very exciting moment in the last week when I found a well, I shouldn't say fail safe because then it won't work way of catching my horse. Um, because if I go to a show like in the afternoon, I always turn her out first so she doesn't stand in and get across. And then, of course, she doesn't want to come back in. And I've tried food and I've tried all sorts and she just gallops about pulling faces at me. So now I have mastered that if I go in with a really big carrot, like big enough that I can hold it upright and she can see it from the other side of the field, that seems to work. And she'll be sort of half walking off, but you can see her eye going, yeah, but that carrot, though... And then I can catch her. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm basically now imagining you with a carrot the size of your head. Um, <laughs> this has become a thing recently in our household as well, because Alfie is generally very good to catch. But recently, like where my where he lives, you can see where his trailer is and where we like put stuff into the car from his field. <laughs> and he's recently taken that if he sees us getting the trailer ready to go out, then he'll be naughty to catch. And I'm telling myself it's because he's excited about going out. But we have recently had to start giving him his breakfast in the stable rather than in the field <laughs> if we're going out in order to oh, the other thing he does is he gallops around and rolls which is just not what you want with a grain when you're about to take it to a show <laughs> try the carrot trick okay here is a very <laughs> large carrot <laughs> And you went out this weekend, didn't you? Yes, uh, I was out arena eventing, um, which was very fun. Yeah, he, he was a good boy, Alfie. I was, I was a little bit hesitant because I previously took him to a sort of indoor cross-country thing and he basically behaved as if he had never seen a fence of any sort in his life. <laughs> um, but he seemed to be okay with arena eventing, which was outdoors on a surface. In fairness, he had been schooling in the same arena over the same fences and different positions before. But yeah, he was really good. He loved it. And I was quite, uh, had a couple of fences down, one of which I felt was my fault one of which I felt was probably his fault so it was one all um, but he was he made the cross-country part all feel very easy and I was able to ride all the lines I wanted and I was quite surprised that when I looked at the scores I was actually a second too fast which I was delighted about Ooh. because I don't consider us the fastest pair of the ground by putting it down to our nice neat turns and talking of cross-country-ish type things by the time this podcast comes out it will only be what five weeks until eventing starts Oh, wow. Yeah, it is. Yep, you're right. It's not long at all. So, yep, it's uh, it's 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 pretty soon. So, yes, we had a good look at the calendar on the weekend and looked at when he needs to start doing some more canter work and, and that sort of thing. So we've got That's lots exciting. of little outings coming up. Yeah, definitely. Well, we've also got with us Lucy Elder, our senior news writer. How are things with you, Lucy? Uh, good. Thank you very much, Pippa. I've been I was out at the retraining of Racehorses Awards this weekend, which was it was wonderful. They're always, it's always really special to, I mean, it's always special to celebrate wonderful horses, you know, wherever they're from. But uh, they have these wonderful awards for performance. But also the, my favourite part of the evening is always the personality awards. And the horse that won that was Henry de Boistron. And he helped his owner, Anastasia Choma, through cancer. And hearing his story, hearing all of their stories was really kind of reminds you quite how, quite, they're just, they're amazing, aren't they, horses? I know that that, that sounds possibly a silly thing to say. We're working where we do in the industry we are, but it's really nice to be reminded of that at, at events like that, really. And um, 
the fact it came after obviously i sort of hot-footed it down to newmarket um i'd watched the big the big clash between shishkin and anergamine at ascot on the tv just before i left and that in itself was just one of the most exciting races i've seen in a long time and to be celebrating horses you know in their job there and then going on to an evening of celebrating all the other things they can do it was just a real real feel-good kind of bright moment in the middle of quite a bleak january really oh lovely and i hope you got really glammed up I I did. I I put a dress on. So (laughs) yeah, so that's always nice too. That's definitely glammed up. Well done. (laughs) And finally, we have with us our news writer, Becky Murray. How are things with you, Becky? Well, it's been quite quiet in the horse front. Um, Chloe's been a bit of a winter holiday. I've been doing some sort of home repairs and stuff. But I have to say, I was questioning what had been put in the water yesterday lunchtime. My mares were galloping around the flat out for 20 minutes. I mean, there's something very amusing about watching Shetland ponies keep up with two big horses. Their legs were just absolutely flying. Um, when they did stop, though, I did question if the Shetlands were going to keel over. Um, so, yeah, they were just going mad. So they're keeping me amused, as always. Oh, bless them. Well, that's good to hear. So coming on to the serious news, Eleanor, you have been looking at it is serious news. You've been looking at tack theft this week. It's something we talked about on the podcast before Christmas. I think it was your story then, Becky. But uh, it's been on Eleanor's watch this week. What has happened now that, that spurred this story? Yeah, so as you say, we, we spoke about it uh, last year when loads of saddles had been stolen from the Kiso Winter Classic show. And this seemed to be sort of similar types of crimes. Uh, we spoke to a couple of riders who had had uh, five saddles in one lorry and, and they were all stolen and they reckoned it was about £30,000 worth of stuff that was taken um, and a lot of them were very new and what they at first thought was you know they discovered the thefts on the Saturday morning and they assumed it was that you know they were stolen overnight and then they started thinking well hold on the dog didn't react someone in the next lorry had a baby and was up all night and didn't see anything and they think what or didn't hear anything and they think what happened is that actually these the thieves came while they were away from their lorry watching the last class when actually you know if if you saw someone with a wheelbarrow full of tack in the middle of the night you'd probably think hold on but if someone's just wandering around with wheelbarrows of tack during the day probably no one will notice and um yeah the, the lorry tack locker had been locked they definitely locked it and it had been unlocked and the stuff taken and i think there were six different thefts from lorries at the same time gosh and those two riders wayne garrick and ibby Watley, who, who lost sort of thirty thousand pounds worth of tack from arena in the uk i think they had some sort of learnings things that surprised them when it happened that they uh, wanted to share with other riders what sort of thing did they mention to you so one one of the big things is that so it emerges, you know, they say they've le- learned a lot from this and they want to share that with other people. And one of those things is that a lot of these lorry tack lockers appear to have the same key, which seems to be a bit counterproductive, you know, if you if you can lock your tack locker, but then someone else can open it with their key. So they are obviously really upping the security uh, on their locker, on their tack locker, and they're saying to people, you know, get a a proper unique lock fitted Um, Wayne also found out that his insurance doesn't cover the tack at the show and the horse box contents insurance only covers him about 250 quid which isn't very helpful when you've lost 30 grand's worth of stuff Um, so he's he's basically saying you know check your insurance check your tack lockers check your security so that's one of their big messages 
Mm, I saw another rider actually putting up pictures that she'd had one of those locks that um, is with like a keypad fitted, which I guess might be more practical if you need a lot of people going in and out of your tat lockers during the day rather than everyone having to have a key. And as you say, if the same keys can open a lot of lockers on, on, this, on lorries, that's really not helpful. And I think Ibi was also putting Simonas on buyers of secondhand tack to do, to do checks. Is that right? What did she say? Yeah, so she started up a Facebook group, uh, Stolen Saddles UK, where people can go on and if they have had have had their tax stolen, they can put it on there and share, you know, pictures and serial numbers and then people can keep an eye. And she said she was absolutely inundated with um, people getting in touch to say they'd had their saddle stolen. And they've also set up, they're also now setting up a database so that all the serial numbers can go in there. And, and, and one thing she's saying is, look, come on, you know, everyone who rides and has horses knows how awful it would be to have your tack taken so we all need to sort of stick together really and check if you're buying tax if you can check the serial number put it in this database if you're being offered uh, a voltaire for 1500 pounds that's probably not right and she's saying you know we've got a moral obligation to check these things because no one can afford to lose 30 grand's worth of tech and, it, and it's not even just the money it's the fact that then if you want another voltaire or, or other makes you may have to wait weeks to get it that saddle was fitted to you and to your horse it's the inconvenience it's it's just horrible and you know the message is we've all got to stick together and beat these scumbags mm, absolutely and if anyone does have any info on these recent tack thefts at arena uk what should they do eleanor um, get in touch with Lincolnshire Police. So if you are in Lincolnshire and you ring 101, that will put you through to them or you can go on their website and anyone should refer to incident 170 of 15th of January. Okay, well, thank you very much for that. Becky, you have been writing about some potential new series in Paradressage. What's on the table here? What's being suggested? Well, last week was the FEI Paradressage Forum, which was really well attended. And one of the topics they discussed was introducing our World Cup series and a Nations Cup in Paradressage. Because at present, these don't exist. And obviously, we have them in dressage and show jumping. And it was really emphasised how good these would be for the sport in terms of offering more opportunities for riders. So their first team event, for example, isn't straight to a Paralympics. But as well as the riders, it was sort of discussed that, you know, having a World Cup or a Nations Cup would provide sponsorship opportunities and really get the sport out there more in the media. And Bettina Duram, who is the FEI Director for Dressage, Paradressage and Vaulting, she talked, I think, about Paradressage learnings and lessons from vaulting on this front, which is really interesting because, you know, those smaller disciplines that are in the FEI but aren't sort of Paralympic or Olympic disciplines. It's interesting that that is now pushing back to Paradressage with some learnings. What did, she, what did Bettina say about that, about what vaulting's done? Well, in 2011, vaulting was reviewed and the sports structure um, was sort of looked at with the aim of growing the sport. And this turned out to be really beneficial. In fact, the FEI said vaulting events grew by 300% after this review. And vaulting also introduced a World Cup. So um, Bettina touched on the fact, like you say, Pippa, vaulting and paradressage are both smaller sports in terms of certain numbers. So paradressage could really sort of learn some lessons from this review of vaulting and hopefully really take this forward. Mm. And what was the feedback on these proposals about sort of having a World Cup, having a Nations Cup in paradressage? Did people think they were good ideas? Absolutely. It was really positive. Um, I'd say the forum was well attended. We, we had judges and officials and, you know, Paralympic riders and everyone was really on board for launching both um, the Nations Cup and the World Cup. And I'd say people got really quite excited about it. 
So next, the FBI Para Dressage Technical Committee will work on proposals and hopefully we will see this move forward. It'll be really interesting to see where that comes out and what they can sort of come up with for, with para riders for the World Cup, which is always quite a compact format. And I love team competitions, Becky, so I'm quite excited by the idea of having Nations Cups as well. What, what do you think? I think it sounds brilliant. You know, I think it seems why it's almost like, why isn't there one? So I think, you know, it'd be really great for the riders and stuff. And, you know, it's like they say, growing that sport, seeing it more in the media, have more people getting excited and talking about it. So it feels like it can only be a good thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think it feeds back into a story that uh, we covered around the time of the Paralympics and since as well about power riders asking to get their horses into, you know, bigger, buzzier atmospheres more often. It could all feed together on that. So thank you, Becky. Positive times, hopefully, for power dressage. Lucy, you've got quite a naughty one this week. I was hesitant about whether we should talk about this, but I've got confidence that you can make it clear for us. We are looking at decision making within the FEI, the FEI being Horse Sports International Governing Body. Can you start off by running us through how decisions are currently made in, in, in within the FEI? Yes, I can. And the first thing I'm going to say about this is is the story itself. It's not a criticism piece. It's just it's taking a look at the system, really, and why people who want the best of the sport are why it's been a sort of topic of conversation and particularly in recent weeks. And so I'm going to try and keep it snappy. <laughs> so right now, decisions are made by experts and stakeholders effectively thrashing out ideas um, and taking into account things like research and results and learnings and this happens over months and months and months and then eventually final drafts of those are boiled down um, they've been sort of drafts before that have been consulted on and then those go to the general assembly which happens in about november every year and they are voted on by nations at that assembly and they're either passed in which case they'll become rules um or not in which case they go back to the drawing board but you know they won't come in for the next year and that happens under uh, what is termed a one nation one vote democratic system which kind of does what it says on the tin really Okay, and it's one particular part of this which is under discussion. Which bit is it? Yes, it's that final voting part that's had a bit of debate recently. And to boil down why that is, it's because the number of horses, riders and people taking part in international horse sport isn't evenly distributed globally if that makes sense so you look at a map you haven't got you know a perfect a perfect spread of horses and riders and countries all competing at the same you know top level top level sport to the same extent and that is true also about you know how many nations have been in contention for or qualified to compete at or you know had someone with the the minimum eligibility requirements to compete at you know really major events such as the olympics so the debate circles around the pros and cons of having that particular voting system in place with with all that in mind basically and take bringing horse sport forwards taking it forwards making big decisions on things like that and yes having that system um as a way of deciding those mm, okay so give us an overview of the arguments lucy what is good about one nation one vote what's potentially bad about it very simply it is, it's fair in that it gives each federation the same power um, and it's also got 
um, the benefit as well of including impartial views of national federations who aren't directly impacted by the decision itself. Um, so you've got you know a very simple, easy to understand system which has a huge, huge range of global views um, coming together. Again, all wanting to do the best for horse sport, for the future of the sport, and um, it is democratic in in that sense. Um, so there's that side of it. On the other hand, there is the argument that you have decisions such as things like the Olympic format which has been a hot potato recently um, being influenced by nations that haven't got lived experience of getting riders towards that or competing at or having an athlete in contention for a games and it's the balance really of you know how as we go back to that global map of the distribution of athletes and horses and riders all over the world when you think about that in itself and I mean, it's crucial to remember that the powers that be and everyone involved in this discussion, they are trying to grow the sport globally so that it means that decisions can't just benefit a few. But I mean, that argument in itself is quite interesting as those of that have got the lived experience of, you know, competing out or getting to an Olympics um, or other rules and things from from where they're standing they can draw on that experience and see how and where they can help grow the sport and bring more competitors and more nations into it but then at the same time as it comes back to that first argument whereas you've got people that aren't directly impacted by decisions helping to inform those then is that the better way so it's it's a debate really i thought it was quite interesting i quite i do get quite into um yeah the sort of runnings of runnings of the sport i find it quite fascinating so i hope i've managed to explain that to some degree um as to why why it's being talked about really at the moment Mm, it's really interesting, Lucy, and it's the kind of thing where you think it's all very kind of political and doesn't directly impact the sport. Mm. But these decisions on things like how many riders should be on Olympic teams, mm. which are, you know, very real world and, and, and everyone's got an opinion on. And it is such an interesting one because, you know, this is something that um, Pippa Cookson, who used to be deputy editor of Horse and Hound and has written for us over the years, has written a lot on over over a long time. And I've read some of her pieces as well. And initially, I think when you first start thinking about it, you're like one country, one vote of course that's fair and then you're like well is it really if these countries don't have the experience of top level horse sport and I think at one point Pippa published a list of how many horses were registered in some nations and it was virtually none um, and then you start to think well do they have the expertise they need to vote on these decisions so it's a really interesting topic that has proper real world implications in our sport just to wrap up Lucy there is one change for this year isn't there on these rules there is, yes. And I'm going to simplify this as well because it's quite wordy. Essentially, at the 2021 General Assembly, so the one just gone that was deciding on rules for this year, um, they voted to tweak the statute slightly, which basically adds a layer of eligibility requirements for new members, um, well, members, I say, new member nations, um, in order to vote on FEI Olympic and Paralympic regulations. So that is for new nations coming in. So every mem every nation that was already a member on the 12th of November uh, retains their full voting rights. That's for new for new nations coming in. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. And as you said, once it, when you look at it on the face of it, you think one thing and then once you start to research and do some digging and look at how other sports work theirs you see the pros and cons of their their own systems as well and so it's um and if you start i don't know if you change one thing it, who knows what unintended consequences could happen down the line so it's it is it's an interesting debate to sit on as an as an outsider looking in really 
definitely. And we were talking about unintended consequences in news meeting earlier this morning, actually, with regard to a different story. So it's one that comes up a lot. Well, thank you very much, Lucy. Thank you, Becky and Eleanor, for joining us today, too. This week's Horse and Ham podcast is supported by NAF Five Star Superflex. As fed by Harry Charles, NAF Five Star Superflex provides your horse's joints with flexibility for life. Five Star Superflex is recommended for horses showing signs of daily wear and tear, soundness issues, reduced joint movement or shortened stride. So now we're going over to Katie Bleakman, an online fitness coach and personal trainer specialising in equestrian athletes. Katie has evented to a high level, winning Team Silver at the Eventing Pony Europeans, and now riders all over the world can benefit from her online coaching programme, Event Rider Fitness. Over to you, Katie. So on today's episode, we're going to be talking about getting on from the ground and keeping yourself mobile enough to get on from the stirrup. Now, we've all probably been there. You've gone to get on, lifted your foot up towards the stirrup and you can't get anywhere near the stirrup. And I know for me, when I've had a busy week and maybe I've been behind the laptop or work, I've been seated, my hip flexors are quite tight or I haven't ridden a huge amount, I'm way less mobile in my hips getting on and off. And I can notice it, say, out hacking, I've got to do three, four gates getting on and off to get onto the road. And I can feel by, say, the third or fourth gate that I've actually warmed up. And once I've done it a few times, it's much easier to get on from the ground. But for a lot of us, the inability to get on from the ground and it can actually cause quite a lot of pain or discomfort and obviously as well from a safety point of view, if you are out hacking or you're out hunting and something happens, you need to get off or you unfortunately have a fall, you need to be able to get yourself back on from the ground. And obviously the main problem when it comes to not being able to get on from the ground is a lack of flexibility and strength. And when we're talking about getting on from the ground, obviously it depends on the size of your horse. If he's very big and you're very short, then it's not just going to down to a case of physical flexibility and when we're talking about getting on from the ground uh, obviously you need to be getting on nice and swiftly not pulling on your horse's back and making sure that your horse is as comfortable as possible so apply this as you see fit but when we're talking about getting on like I said we're talking about getting on as swiftly as possible so that you're not hanging off your horse's back you're not putting too much weight on one side but you do need to be able to get on from the ground or maybe from a low block and like I said the main problem is tightness and a lack of flexibility And when your hips feel tight when you're riding, that could be causing you back pain. If your hips are tight, that's gonna be pulling on your pelvis and it could be causing your hips to sit a little bit misaligned or wonky as well. And then you get these feelings of tightness either when you're riding or after riding. And often it can lead to pain, especially if you're going for long hacks at this time of the year or you're out hunting for long days. And obviously as well with the cold, if we are older um, during the winter, that can be a problem as well. And for most of us, especially if you're working around the horses and the horses aren't your full-time job, You'll probably find that actually with the lack of daylight, you're riding slightly less, so your muscles aren't being exposed to the same movement patterns. You're not getting on as much as you normally would. So again, it feels more difficult to get on. And as we age, our muscle mass, our strength and our bone density all become affected, which can really reduce flexibility. And our joints can become thicker as the cartilage becomes thinner. And it's something, especially as females and women, we should be aware of because things like osteoporosis are far more common in women than they are for men. And like I said, hip tightness is one of the biggest reasons and one of the biggest things that will be affecting your position in the saddle and your ability to get on so if you're spending quite a lot of time seated whether that's riding driving at a desk the front of your body is 
is going to become very short and weakened. So the muscles on the front of your body, like your abdominal muscles, your hip flexors, your uh, chest muscles, and that's going to really have an ability, um, an effect on your ability to sit deep and really hold a nice seat. And we often hear the chair seat being referred to in riders. And when you're not sitting balanced over your seat bones, your seat's either further back than it should be, and then your legs are going to come further forward than you ideally want it in the saddle. And again, this all happens because the pelvis is in a bit of a compromised position. You're either sitting in a bit of an anterior or a posterior tilt, and then it's going to affect your seat in the saddle. But going back to the getting on in the first place and getting on from the ground, the solution to getting yourself on and off from the ground is working on your flexibility, your hip mobility, and your strength. But obviously, first of all, we need to start from the basics. So thinking about flexibility, then mobility, then then strength and stability. So to start with, you want to think about stretching your glute muscles, so your bum muscles, your hamstrings, that's the back of your thighs, and your hip flexors. Some good stretches would be lying on your back and you can hug both knees into your chest or you could do that one at a time. You could just hold it for say 30 to 40 seconds. Really control your breathing in your stretches. Think about deep exhales, deep inhales and really making room for the muscle and the joints to relax and stretch. Your inner thighs are a typical muscle that are going to be really tight in riders. So what you can do here is you could just sit on the floor, take your legs out wide. So try and take your legs out as wide as possible and reach forward. Maybe if you have something like a foam roller or a water bottle put your hands on it and gently roll it away from you to increase the strength the stretch gradually hamstrings tightness is really common in riders as well so things like from standing rolling down and getting as close to touching your toes as you can if you can't touch your toes don't worry and remember it's really important when we're talking about strengthening stretching and flexibility to work with your range of motion you want a pull not over stretching where you either cause muscle damage or you feel like you're in pain once you've started to increase your flexibility in your glutes, in your hamstrings, you can think about adding in some more dynamic hip stretches, things like pigeon pose. So you're sat on the floor, you bring one heel towards your groin and your knee goes out away from you. So it externally rotates. And what you should find is if you do these stretches consistently, over time, you should find that you become more flexible, the stretches in themselves become more comfortable and things like getting on both start to become a little bit easier. And it's really important to remember as well, not just from the getting on point of view but your balance and strength totally changes the way your horse moves and his ability to move so you should always be considering how your movement restrictions could be impacting his and the best way to do that is to identify your movement restrictions or any tight areas out of the saddle on your on the ground learn where your weaknesses are and then from there you can build and think about the specific movements that you would need from your hips to ride so we need flexion through our hip when we're riding so things like uh, lifting our leg up to get on and the best way to strengthen that would be through hip flexion exercises like a hip hinge or a deadlift. If you've never trained before, start simple. Start with something like a glute bridge and build up from there. We need extension through the hip, so that's when we're taking our heel back, taking our leg behind us. So things like asking for a transition. If your hip extension is limited or weak, you're probably going to struggle to give clear aids. Taking the hip away and in from you, so abducting and adducting is really important, as well as having the ability to rotate the hip, so turning your leg and your knee in and out. So again, thinking of when you're turning in the saddle or when you're asking for aids. And if you're only riding, say like three, four times a week during the winter, you can't expect to be really agile and efficient in these movements. So the more you can do them off the ground in your own training, the better it's going to serve you. And at the end of the day, we all want to be getting on from the ground and having the freedom to be able to get on by ourselves 
ourselves wherever we are, whether we're in our 60s, 70s, 20s, whether that is out hunting, out hacking, without hurting our horses or causing them any pain. So start to think about your flexibility. One thing that you'll probably find that would really help as well is adding a really quick, like five minute hip mobility routine um, into your warm up before you get on. And obviously you're on the yard, so I'm not expecting you to be lying on the floor, but just some really simple exercises, things like leg swings. So you're standing, hold on to uh, the barn door or a stable door and just swing your leg back and forward from your glute and your hip. You could do some hip articulations. So think of um, taking your knee out and drawing a circle with your knee. You could do eight to 10 on each side. You could always stretch your uh, heel to your bum as well. And if you really squeeze your glute on the side you're stretching, you'll feel a big stretch down through the front of the thigh. And then some roll downs as well. So roll down really gently through your spine, your knees, touch your toes. And if you go for three, four of those exercises for a couple of rounds through, you should find that you feel much warmer and more mobile when you come to get on. And then in time, what you could think about is adding in some strengthening movements as well. To begin with, focus on movements that are gonna help you to strengthen your hip flexors. So things like dead bugs, mountain climbers, bridges. And then from there, we can build on working on your strength. But like I said, we all wanna have the ability to be able to get on from the ground, especially as we get older. And from a safety point of view, it's really important that you have the ability to do so. So think about adding these things into your maybe warm-ups or your weekly routines ahead of you riding and see how you get on and if getting on from the ground becomes a bit easier. I hope you found that episode useful and if you're looking for any more information or help with your fitness and health then feel free to check out my work at eventriderfitness.com. Thank you Katie. Katie will be back next week to talk about designing your own core training programme and our interview will be with another London International Horse Show winner, the native pony rider specialist Rebecca Penny. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by NAF Five Star Superflex. If you're enjoying the podcast, do make sure you subscribe or follow in your podcast app so that each episode downloads automatically. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.